I think we all understand how important credit or loan is in our daily lives. To build a house, start a business, complete our education, credit plays a major role in helping us progress to next big thing in our lives. The fact that credit plays an important role to progress applies for everyone from poor to rich. But a poor household cannot go to banks and ask for credit because he or she doesn't have documents or enough collateral for the banks to give the loans. So that's where MFIs come in. MFI stands for microfinance institutions. So these are financial institutions which offer micro loans to these poor people at an affordable interest rate. Microfinance institutions have been one of those ideas which proved that social objectives and commercial project can go hand in hand. Today I have Sushil Thakur, Vice President Finance of Avanti Microfinance to talk us about what is microfinance, how it works, what are different types of microfinance and all. I know like me you have lot of questions without wasting any time let's dive into the conversation. Before you guys start listening to the podcast I have a small note for you. This is by far the longest episode of my podcast. This episode is this long because I tried my level best to provide a detailed basic understanding about how microfinance industry works. I hope this will be a good starter for anyone who is interested in this sector. With that said, welcome to reinvent. Firstly, thank you so much for coming. It really means a lot. And uh, My first question is that uh, tell us a bit about yourself how did you get into finance and all uh, thanks pranay thank you so much for uh, inviting me to this uh, it's always uh, you know something i like that uh, you give back to uh, your younger self so someone like you or you know your uh, peers or you know school students or college students it's always nice to do that so you can see the world from a different perspective and a different lens and uh maybe i see that as an opportunity to advise myself if i was younger so uh you know so uh, what i did is i have completed my uh, chartered accountancy and uh, company secretary in ahmedabad i did that way back in 2007 after doing my graduation in commerce and uh, you know at the same time as cas you know we supposed to do articleship so i was doing articleship with deloitte in ahmedabad and uh, i spent some time uh, with deloitte three years and uh, then i moved to uh, kpmg and kpmg i spent spent like a lot of time and so that's been a place where i have got a lot of my learnings uh, a lot of rich uh, you know good friends i mean i mean not rich but good friends and rich experience but uh, you know probably the joy of seeing something you know grow from a seed into a tree uh, is something that i wanted and uh, that's why then i took a you know i sort of pivoted into joining into uh, startups that's how aqua happened aqua is in insurance it's uh, india's first digital insurtech company uh, i spent time there it was a risky bet because you know people don't really like startups they think they have an element of risk which yes they do but uh, you know this is saying i mean you know if you have more risk more return so as long as you can mount that much of risk you can take it and that was an insurance and while i was doing aqua having great fun there uh, i got this you know opportunity to work with uh, you know uh, where i am right now with avanti where the target was to uh, help 100 million households in credit that is a audacious number right 100 million households is what 10 crores that was a target you know that was set by the founders we were funded by uh, founded rather by Mr. Tata Nandan, so you know, great pedigree, great uh, senior management. So that's something that I 
thought I would love to do. Uh, because, you know, like I was telling you earlier, it's very important to go to the micro to appreciate the macro. And, uh, you know, such space gives an opportunity to do that. So, so my next question is that, uh, I mean, uh, we'll start with what is the difference between microfinance and banking in general. But I, I still want to understand that is there a credit inaccessibility for poor in VC campaigns by governments and all, but which make the general people who are outside to, you know, feel like there is no credit inaccessibility. I mean, I just want to understand from you that is there any credit in, inaccessibility, especially for the poor and the in, people who are working in the informal sector? Yeah, so like, I mean, like you mentioned, I think there is a lot of pomp and show when you come to know the schemes that the government are doing. And, you know, yes, I think they're trying to do what they can. You have the mudra schemes, you know, which are through banks and you have, you know, schemes where SNG groups are given a lot of, you know, uh, credit. Uh, then you have banks that are incentivized. There's a lot of interest subvention that is given. So there are a lot of schemes that the government does do. So, you know, there's no denying that. But what tends to happen is that the uh, government tends to do it through an institution. Right. So if the government does it through a bank, uh, the government does it through, you know, a commercial institution, uh, then it, it sort of, uh, you know, has it sort of because what happens is when you're doing it through a commercial institution and you're going to get a subvention from the government, the borrowers sometimes believe that. And, you know, that's been something that is going on since quite a few years that this government in the next election will ask us that, you know, uh, we'll wave off the loans. And that's unfortunately happened in India too many times. So then what tends to happen is the commercial organization, because see, a bank is a commercial organizer, PSU or you know any sort of bank is still a commercial organization, accountable to its shareholders. Uh, they have to make profits. So then the, the incentive to make these loans again is lesser in banks because what they fear is that if the bank does, if the government uh, waves off these loans, they'll not get the money back. Now, when they say when I say wave off, the government does give the the money back to the PSUs, right? They do that, but then that comes with a lag, so the cash flow is blocked. So then, for the commercial organization, they still have to wait another year for that money to come. So yes, you have teams, but the incentive that banks have to actually give that is low. So yes and no to your question. Uh, so where where is you know where does it? become important is that you have MFIs, you have uh, NBFCs, you have MFIs that are you know, NGOs as well. These people come in so that they're able to provide credit to those folks who have in cases being rejected by banks. Right. And also, yeah, sorry, you're saying something. No, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah. So what tends to happen is banks also is that since they do not want to suffer additional losses, they become extremely conservative. Like, I don't know if any of you or your you know friends have visited banks in the villages. What tends to happen is the entrance to the bank itself is so small that only one person can go in. They do that by design, right? And when you see that sort of an entrance, which has got like, uh, you know, the jali and then it's got uh, locks and all, you're not incentivized to enter. You are not, you don't feel comfortable, right? Because the bank officer there wants to do business, but wants to do business with someone who's going to give him a higher margin, he doesn't want to do it business with someone who wants a 15,000 rupee loan or 20,000 rupee loan. He would like to do business with someone who's taking a lakh rupees, two lakh rupees, you know, etc. So that becomes more difficult for them to get these loans. And the paperwork the banks ask generally has been quite a bit. They will ask, I want your bank statements. Uh, you know, I'm not even talking about, you know, your uh, the form 16, etc. Because they don't have any, you know, income proof as such. 
but they don't really have you know bank statements they have minimal bank statements minimal bank accounting so it just becomes a catch 22 the bank says i will give you if you give me all these things that guy says i don't have all these paperwork but i still want it that's where mfis come in see mfi is what they are able to do is they are able to have a have a lot of understanding of the uh, you know the cross section of communities for a bank officer the borrower comes to the bank right so the bank officer does not know the community but here the in microfinance the uh, microfinance employee the person who's giving the loans and who's collecting the money actually goes and visits their villages goes and visits their localities understands what is the need that is you know there of the funds where do they really want to utilize the funds and when that person says that okay i have a set of 1 lakh rupees now that guy may say i have five buffaloes i have two goats and these are not quantifiable assets right you can't price it but yes when you look at this you have a guesstimate number that yes this guy has an income of you know 1 lakh rupees so mfis do that very differently it is a mix of formal and informal methods that they use what they also do is a very interesting you know uh, aspect is most of the mfi loans if you have read statistics i mean more than 95% plus are provided to women why women because women as torch bearers of the family want to ensure that you know the money is utilized at the right places and they believe that they want to pay it back that is not the same case with banks traditionally now they have started changing but that whole gramin bank model that we you know we spoke about earlier so that's also very fundamentally different so you have mfis who really understand communities who understand use cases right mm-hmm. and also are giving to the to people who will be wanting to give back because they don't want their family to you know have a bad name in the community so you know i just to give you a statistic so i was just reading it uh, you know sometime back as on march 2020 2.3 lakh crores is the amount of outstanding uh, 2.3 lakhs that's a massive number is the amount outstanding in the mfi space not only mfi i mean in the low income in this entire thing that also does include banks massive number but if you compare that with the total credit that you know we as a country have you know and bank credit i will not talk about mbfc credit because most of it comes from banks so the bank credit outstanding is close to 100 lakh crore right. so we are talking about just 2.3% for the rural india for rural india which rural india is almost 60% plus right so you see the amount of disparity in credit so right. the personal home loan are like almost uh, you know out of this 1 lakh crore 28% but micro loans are just 2.3% so they are starved of credit right and the mm-hmm. other thing also is that uh, when you look at some, when you dig deeper and try to understand uh, the use cases of why the loans are there you will be you know uh, amazed to find out that while these uh, mfi loans still exist but people still take a lot of loans from in the, in the informal sector mm-hmm. so this number that you have of- Three lakh crores is basically the formal part of it, and equivalent a larger number is coming from informal sources. You know, like we may have heard and read about the money lender. You know, friends and family. You know, people, friends and family. Sorry, the money lenders would typically charge you exorbitant rates of interest. So, right. if I may, there, if I may cut you there once, uh, I mean, do do that happen because there is lack of awareness of microfinance institutions, or do that happen because the they they trust money lender more than this formal institutions because they have been betrayed by them for years right yeah so a very good question i mean i, I like to think that you said that uh, about trust so yes what is happening is that if the borrower you know they want money as, as on an sos basis on an emergency basis then microfinance 
institutions currently don't necessarily have the capability to give emergency loans right it is developing uh, people are building you know more digital models but right now they don't have a ability that supposing you know this person is there this person has borrowed has a good repayment track record and he or she wants an emergency loan can we distribute that tomorrow that does not exist right now that's where the money lender comes in because money money lender knows that yes microfinance will give a loan to them but if this fellow wants something on an sos basis he's only going to come to me so it's a bit of a trust yes that is that this person is my last uh, port uh, port of call and at the same time that's something that the money lender uses because he knows he's always going to come to me there's an emergency and then i will price him very excessively so you know one is making use of the other person's trust so uh, you know that's where it is there and the second thing is what tends to happen in the microfinance the loan ticket size tends to be very low and that is by design right what tends to happen is maybe the first loan that is given to a new completely fresh borrower will be maybe around 15000 rupees or 20000 rupees you may ask why that's very low yes it is very low but it's important for you to appreciate what is the income uh, in rural india so the income in rural india on an annualized basis is almost say 1 lakh rupees per household not per individual now out of that 1 lakh rupees the savings that a household has is only 8 to 9000 rupees which is very low and if you're giving a loan so when you're saying 8 to 9000 rupees is saving that means a lot of amount is going to consumption a lot of amount is going to you know say their uh, you know the the farming and you know different ancillary aspects so if you give a high loan from a commercial standpoint if supposing someone gives a loan of 50000 when you're having only income of 8 to 9000 rupees the repayment becomes a challenge that's why mfis by design give loans where the repayment is possible and like i said between 15000 to 20000 rupees is what the initial ticket size is then it starts increasing you know because your one season you have uh, completed one cycle i'll give you a larger one then again i'll give you a larger one whereas a money lender for him it is primarily you know um, he knows that guy he knows where he stays um, he can name and shame him if he does not pay money so he will probably give a larger amount to him so that's why it's different two aspects like i mentioned right now like let's talk about what are the different types of microfinance mic models of lending in microfinance and after that we'll talk about how the loans are given right sure, yeah. sure. if i were to say there are primarily on three different models of uh, lending in the microfinance space uh, one is uh, what is called a self help group uh, the next is what is called a joint liability group and the third is more what is direct lending right uh, now i will go into some detail on each of these but by far uh, the most effective the most efficient and the most uh, tried and tested successful model is self help groups why now self help groups the design of that uh, product is where you know maybe around 10 to 15 individuals and most of them tend to be women self help groups are generally run by women they get together they form Uh, an association among themselves and importantly they save so in a self help group saving is first established and that saving could be minuscule to give you again a statistic the uh, i think in 2019 march 19 around 23000 crores of uh, savings you know bank account savings of self help groups of almost around i think around 1 uh, crore yeah 1 crore sgs that means every individual is almost saving around 2000 rupees per year that might again sound less but then you say 2000 rupees per year you start accumulating years you start accumulating the number of people then they become a slightly larger amount so in sngs what happened is that 
what happens rather is that you form a particular amount of savings and based on that saving then the institution it could be a bank it could be a microfinance institution it could be an nbfc it could be an ngo organization then they provide loans so they know that you have a habit of saving that's the most important thing they they like sdgs because sdgs have a habit of saving now when you have a habit of saving you then have a habit of repayment and you have a habit of storing money which will be used and in a self help group also what happens is uh, the group dynamics are extremely important because you know maybe you have experience when you you know when you have study groups you know in college or elsewhere there's always one person is going to push the other person you have a deadline you no know, no we have to do this we have to submit this assignment similarly on repayment they always pushing each other to ensure that the group doesn't earn a bad name so self help groups actually more than 90 95% of you know the entire 2 2.3 lakh crore that i mentioned is with uh, you know sgs last portion of this the second one that i mentioned is joint liability group now joint liability group uh, is a minuscule percentage why because the fundamental difference in sg and glg is that an sg is primarily looking at savings it says do you save yes i save i may say 1 rupee but because you say 1 rupee i may give you 5 mm-hmm. rupees mm-hmm. in joint liability it tends to be not focused on savings it tends to be focused on the profession or the occupation the person is doing so you can loosely put it as a guarantor so supposing there are carpenters they want to go together they want to take a loan so they they go together as a joint liability group supposing five carpenters are there if one carpenter doesn't pay then the other carpenter will pay up and that way the bank or the mfi is assured that i'm giving a loan but there are other guarantors now the trick here is i mean not the trick rather the the thing here is that the other four uh, carpenters are not blood relatives so and there is no savings mechanism in an sg the sg saves you know the women contribute to the sg and the sg saves in the glg you are just individuals who have come together to get a loan so you understand the group dynamics in an sg is very different savings here no savings just coming for a particular uh, you know purpose so that's why glgs have not really done too well the third is that uh, you know third one is more direct lending and direct lending is something you know that is more in force you know nowadays uh, because what happens is uh, in direct lending you know you are able to actually give much more large ticket sizes to individuals see sg loan to some extent they can work in group dynamics because you know you have 10 to 15 people in one sg you have say 15000 per person that you want to distribute so you are looking at a total sg you know amount of say around you know 1.5 to 2 lakhs but what if one of the individuals there wants 40000 rupees so when you look at 40000 rupees and looking at 10 to 15 people that 2 lakh number suddenly becomes 6 lakhs and the you know the individuals in that sg are not quite sure you know whether uh, they will be able to you know step in you know if the other people don't pay so then direct lending is there where the ticket sizes are larger but the use cases are something that are justifiable so broadly these are the three things that are there and in in direct lending what is now happening is that uh, direct lending is now happening more digitally so earlier you know there used to be cases where there's a lot of cash handling that is there disbursement there's a lot of cash collection there's a lot of cash now they are slowly moving towards you know uh, digital based disbursements digital based uh, collections and because of you know upi you know you have whatsapp you have these digital repayment mechanisms that direct lending is much more convenient sgs also you use digital methods 
but in direct lending it is possible so in direct lending two important things the ticket sizes are larger and the second is because of the repayment convenience i mean when i say convenience not absolute convenience it relative convenience to as it was earlier that is now there so yeah these are the three types of uh, buckets if i were to split them into right uh, so i was reading this book called portfolios of poor and there is an interesting thought mentioned in that book. i thought it would be nice if you can ask you is that uh, there are some instances where people lend money to you know poor people by you know taking something which has an emotional value to that right because every poor household may not have the collateral but they might have something which they might you know have an emotional connection with which they value it more or something so are there any like so do micro finances accept something like that and lend loans or what do they accept uh, to lend loans is also is the following question so yeah uh, that's very interesting i have not read about that but i would love to read about that but you know if you were to look from a micro finance standpoint generally or say majority 90% plus these are unsecured loans because if you look at say 15000 rupees 20000 rupees or even 30000 or 40000 rupees it is difficult to envisage collateral that you can provide right uh, now saying that you know i have one buffalo i am giving a collateral against that buffalo is slightly tricky because i mean the cost of insurance etc is high so you can say that i will uh, give the loan and i will tell the individual that hey you know what you have to pay insurance for this you know because the buffalo is there but generally microfinance uh, doesn't work on you know uh, you know collaterals there are some cases where if the ticket size is very large say it is like you know 1 lakh 1 and 1/2 lakh someone is sponsoring for an e-rickshaw you know then you can collateralize that but generally there is no uh, you know element there now what people do do, do take collaterals is maybe gold now on a emotional connect elements that is a bit tricky you know why because the value that you ascribe to that uh, item and the value that the other person ascribes to that item is very qualitative see when you take a collateral of supposing an e-rickshaw you take a collateral of you know something that is definite you know you know an absolute value of that now if you believe that the person has an emotional connect to something how are you going to validate that right because you are not privy to that person's life and it is uh, i don't know wishful thinking if you if you believe that the person will be honest with you that this is what i have an emotional connect to but that apart even if the person is having a strong emotional connect to that let's say he or she does not pay the loan right now are you able to liquidate that because see a microfinance or a commercial organization looks at it that when i get a collateral i should be able to liquidate it i will have losses i understand i'll have losses but if the collateral is maybe a painting that is done by my son and i really love that painting right because maybe that's the first painting he's ever made and i give that as a collateral but you're not really going to encash it right you can't sell that off so things that have an emotional connect i mean in it's it's an interesting concept but very difficult to implement uh you know to my mind you know at least i would think that gold is not emotional gold yes even if supposing someone's uh, family jewelry is there maybe it might be 100 years old but yes that has a definite value you yeah, want to yeah. sell the gold person is not paid but not in emotional right uh, so can you tell us about the repayment methods how re- once the loan is given what happens after that yeah very good point so you know uh, the microfinance industry generally works on a high touch model okay so when i say high touch means that there is a lot of human to human interaction uh, unlike say you know you know in the cities and in say larger towns you know when we make a uh, when we go for loans you'll typically have a lot of interaction when you're getting the disbursements you know you'll have to go to the uh, 
a bank, you'll have to maybe then do your paperwork there, again, go for some disbursements, maybe take a guarantor, go there. And then after that, more or less, you're not really bothered with the bank as long as you pay your money. They'll say you pay and that's it. You know, you want to close it, you, you again will go there. So not much of interaction. Whereas in a, in a traditional MFI model, what happens is, first of all, there's a loan officer. And the loan officer is someone who has an understanding of that particular geography. When I say geography, it is maybe that tehsil or that locality along with the you know community. When I say community, it's not religious. It's not a religious community, but type of the behavior, the occupation that uh, you know sector does, the type of crops that they grow, what is the you know uh, repayment mechanism? When are they able to you know have their older loans? So what is the extent of that? So this basically, it's someone who has a lot of understanding of the local populace. Then they uh, source individuals who want loans, right? And they would probably start with you know the you know the local panchayat and tell them you want to reach out to people. And then they will get leads that way. What MFIs have been doing since some years and that model has developed now is something called, uh, you know, uh, the CRIF Highmark score. So in cities, we are typically used to the civil score. But in the villages, you have the CRIF Highmark score. So people who already have loans from any other MFI or any other bank would typically have their records in CRIF. They'll get a score scorecard showing their credit rating. But if people don't have are new to credit or you know, it's they're typically called thin file customers or new to credit customers. So for new to credit customers, what they would do is they would try to look at what are the assets that the person actually has, you know, in her house or in the SSG, if they're led from the, if the person is joining a new SSG, what is the, you know, the SSG's repayment mechanism? How have they been, uh, you know, uh, servicing their loans, etc. So once they have an understanding of that, what is the use case? So what is the loan required, right? What is the, you can say a very, very micro business plan, right? If you're giving, say, 20,000 rupees, where are you going to use the 20,000 rupees? And most importantly, microfinance institutions do not give loans for consumption. What that means is that they give loans only for livelihood, only for, you know, doing, you know, business activities, agricultural activities, because they know when you can make profits, that is when you can repay back. Okay. So if, say, that person says that I want to use this loan for, you know, my, you know, house affairs, etc. They will not give a loan. They will only give it for the use case that is there. Then they look at the number of existing loans that, you know, that particular individual has. So uh, there is a self-regulatory organization, actually two. One is MFIN and one is Sadhan. So what MFIN has done is they have adopted a code, you know, of, uh, you know, conduct for themselves and you know, broader organizations as well, banks including, that they will not give loans you know, as so it's like basically a, a, a best friend's, you know, handshake that we will not give loans to individuals who already have one lakh rupees outstanding or who already have loans from three uh, organizations. So they sort of make sure that, you know, they're not going overboard and lending to people. So that check is also done. Now, once all this is done, the disbursements take place. Disbursement, like I told you, nowadays generally happens from a bank standpoint. You know, the disbursements uh, happen through... Uh, you know, IMPS, it could happen through NEFT, it directly goes there. Earlier, it used to happen a lot of cash. Earlier, actual cash would change hands, right? But that's a messy process. There's a cost involved in that. You know, there can be discrepancies, etc. But now that has moved. So more or less, you know, people do it on the bank. Now, in credit, the easiest thing in loan is giving the loan. <laughs> the main thing is collecting the loan. That is the business of credit, right? You can always disburse a loan easily. 
So what they then do, and this is a very interesting thing. So supposing they want to collect from, uh, say, say 15 borrowers, what they will tell them is that, you know, maybe you come on a particular day. So this is typically a monthly type of, you know, a collection that they do. You come on a particular day, let's say maybe that's the fifth of every month. Why fifth? Because maybe they get all their money by the 30th. I mean, though they're not like, you know, typically salaried class, but they pick up a date where everyone more or less is getting the money. Everyone comes to a common place. And then so that everyone's time is saved, everyone sits there and everyone makes a repayment. So also from an efficiency standpoint, if you look at the loan officer, he doesn't have to go knocking on 15 people's houses. He gets all of them at one place. And he's able to establish a community connect there. He's able to speak to them. He's able to understand what all can be done. Because it's important also that, you know, it is a social organization. It is not a commercial, commercial organization. What are their needs? Do they need something additionally? Are they able to, you know, find the right prices for their products? You know, is there any other, you know, procurements that they need to do? Exchange of ideas between these people. So that's where the group dynamics and group assistance comes in. So, yeah. That's how the repayment, you know, uh, tends to happen. And, uh, you know, the beauty of it is that if you've seen the NPAs, that is, you know, the uh, past 90 accounts in the MFI space are below 1%. Mm. Up, really below 1%. As compared to corporate, you know, where they're massively higher. Right. Mm. So, um, look, at this model is, and, you know, it is a model. Right. But at the same time, what's important is that the poor person really wants to pay back money. Right. But then people don't consider that. They look at the person as poor, the ability of that person as not a consumer. When I say not a consumer, means not a person who I should give credit to, which is absolutely wrong. You know, if you look at, uh, you know, CK Prahlad's The Fortune at the Bottom of the Pyramid, look at what Mohammed Yunus, then you look at even, you know, uh, this uh, poor, uh, this uh, Abhijit Sen, that poor economics. You should basically get into the minds and uh, needs of the consumer. So there is, no non-consumer. Everyone is a consumer. You need to design the product the way that the consumer understands it. Right. Uh, next thing, there has been a lot of uh, discussion about the interest rates. Even I have, to some extent, feeling that the interest rates... Yeah, rate, I was waiting for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the interest rates are high. I mean, I understand the sustainability factor of it. I mean, I understand that microfinance are trying to, you know crack that formula of social objectives and a commercial project. So to sustain themselves to it, attain some social objectives they need to you know uh, like get i mean they need to give loans at higher interest rate because they're giving a smaller amount of loans but doesn't the higher interest rate in itself burden i mean burdens the poor more good point like i said i was waiting for that so i mean this is a sort of an uh, you know i mean i mean some aspect that people uh, believe that you know mfis are charging prohibitive rates of interest and, you know, they're making a massive profit. You know, there's a lot of uh, misconception around this. So let me give you actual facts. If you look at, you know, uh, the uh, the Southern report, like I said, Southern is a self-regulatory organization. The median cost of borrowing of an MFI, median, I mean, because median is a proper representative, is around 14%. What does that mean? The MFI itself is able to get a loan from a bank or from an, any other NBFC or organization at 14%. Okay. Now the cost of operation. And like I said, this is a very high touch model. You need to employ a lot of people. You can do approximately say around 300 individuals service them per month. So the cost of operations is 8%. So what is happening is 14% is your cost of borrowing. 
8% is your cost of operations. That makes it 22%. Now you have a cost of credit. What does cost of credit mean? That the possibility of some accounts going bad, like going NPA. So let's put a 1%, like I mentioned that the, you know, par 90, that is the, you know, NPAs is 1%. So the 22% has become 23%. Now we have not even talked about the SGNA. We have SGNA means, I mean, the selling general administrative expenses that are there. So now the 23%, if we add 2%, I mean, SGNA is basically a corporate expenses that are there. Operating expenses are more, you know, salaries of the loan officers and, you know, their, you know, the travel, etc. that they're doing there. So if you add another, say, 2% basis points for that, the actual cost for every loan an MFI is doing is like 24-25%. Now with scale, that becomes smaller. Now you'll have a uh, you'll have a bandhan earlier in its earlier avatar. It is a large MFI. Since more scale is there, the cost of borrowing, they can negotiate better. Instead of 13.5-14%, they can maybe get it at 11%. But at a typical median level, you actually have a cost of operation of 24-25%. And what they charge these uh, borrowers is around, say, 26 to 27%. So what if you're looking at it, there's only a 2-3% margin that they're making. Unlike if you go to a bank and you take a loan, right? if you take a personal loan, maybe they will price you at, say, 11%, 12%. But what is the margin that they're getting from the RBI? If you look at the RBI repo rate, it is like 5%, right? So I would rather say that the margins that the banks earn are much higher than the margins that the MFIs earn. It is just because in absoluteness, you see it as a very high number of, you know, 25, 26, 27%. Whereas your, the loan that you're taking, personal loan is say 11, 12, 13%. You perceive that, you know, there is profit rate, but actually it is not. And also, you know, you need to appreciate the fact that this 25, 27% I was mentioning, the money lender can charge them as much as 1% per day, right? I mean, at least if you go and check sometimes, you know, people who are you know, selling sabjis in push carts, they almost pay, you won't believe, 10% per day, right? So that is a very different type of business they are playing. MFIs don't play that. MFIs, and also very important, the RBI has a, uh, you know, so that MFIs don't go overboard, you know, those are some of the risky MFIs. They have certain conditions on the price of the credit that you will give to borrowers. The price it bases your cost of borrowing. I think that's 2x or something like that. So basically what they say is if your cost of borrowing is say 14%, you cannot price it above say 28%. So the regulator also has enforced that you know, condition. So uh, to my mind, it is actually a fair game that the MFIs play. The larger that you become of scale and the larger you employ digital means, right? The more you're able to bring down the costs. Because at 8% operating cost is very high. Now, if you can reduce that to 2%, because what is the 8%? 8% is the loan officers visiting everyone. Is that always required? Can you have digital transactions there? Can you use more different, you know, community models? Then you can bring down the cost. Right. So, I mean... I hope you... Now yeah. that, you know, the rates are, uh, are relative, yeah. not absolute. But I got it. I mean, I also feel sad that in this also the state is responsible for the higher rates of microfinance, which in a way is causing a disadvantage for the poor, which is sad. Uh, no, why do you say state? I mean, the state in the sense, the bank, which is involved with the rates. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, very valid point, you know. So if you look at, uh, like I said, the median cost is 13 14% that uh, MFIs get it at. But you look at your large corporates, right, who are running industries. 
they are able to get rates even cheaper than you and me they will get 9 get 8.5% and right the mfo space has been able to give nps of 1% only as compared to the banking system which is i mean which industry rather the industry which is a mess right for npa some some places 5% some places 10% so it's very unfortunate and uh, to some extent unfair as well that the people who are actually having low npas you charge them more and the people that are having high npas you charging them less you know but uh, I mean, uh, there's a saying: "Fact is stranger than fiction." <laughs> right, rightly said. And uh, see, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, we know that there are there have been a lot of success stories, and people. I mean, I mean, microfinance has helped a lot of people to come out of poverty or fight poverty. But the repayment of these loans is largely depend on dependent on a lot of factors which are not there in hand, right? For especially poor household. Uh, and there is a statement done by Vikram Akula, who has been one of the major uh, heads of one of the biggest microfinance or country that we don't need to teach for they know everything they're smart. I mean, I agree to some extent, but when there are a lot of other factors. affecting their repayment you know uh, repayment of money to the microfinancers don't you think microfinance instead of you know only borrowing and collecting money they have to create this livelihood mechanisms so that everybody is better off at the end of the day because if they create better livelihood mechanisms the profit of this poor households will increase and there will be a you know in a, there will be they will be in a better position to repay these loans back you are absolutely right the organizations that work for the borrower right when i say for the borrower it means not for the credit only but for the borrower's growth from helping the borrower you know looking at like i was mentioning you know import through port and output linkages those are the organizations that build trust what is the single most element that is lacking you know uh, when you know people from uh, rural areas take loans or take any sort of financial instruments or give money is trust right because a lot of you know people have been cheated of money they have you know entered chit funds you know done different things with the intention of earning money but they have been frauded now when you build trust you build trust not only by giving credit you build trust by you know uh, offering something and i say offering something if you help give a helping hand and rather than asking the other hand to first come to you you give a help you give a hand to that person and do that so there are organizations which uh, which actually do work like this there are some who are highly commercial there are some like i said why do you look at your what is the return on assets what is the return on equity what is the margin that i'm getting those are important but those cannot be the lifelines of an organization because then eventually that organization become a bank and there is a fundamental difference between a bank and a mfi right so then the lines they 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 disappear and then that organization that works very very uh, like a cookie cutter like a transactional approach or mechanistic approach becomes a bank and then the person will not go to that organization because that person knows that you are only coming when you want to make money from me you know you're not there to help me and also i'll give some data points very interesting uh, like you said the you know, poor people they go through different challenges you know and you know are they able to repay i think that's what you're trying to say but there's this research that was done by this uh, you know a large organization they looked at demonetization they looked at july 2018 kerala floods and they looked at you know this uh, funny 2019 the cyclone that happened around orissa in that place now this affected demonetization maybe you know it didn't affect livelihoods per se because people in the, in the villages actually had low denomination notes they didn't have high denomination notes so it affected to some extent but not that much as it affected urban but in kerala floods and the you know the funny cyclone this actually affected people 
and there is data that shows that you know these are like data on say around maybe 27000 for uh, kerala plus 27000 accounts and 45000 on funny that show that there have been npas when that event occurred they were not able to pay but in a six month duration they were able to pay that back what does that mean that means that their ability to clear their account their ability to clear their name is there it is not a scenario where you know they an event happens and they forget and they say okay because of the event i'm not going to pay this is actually research that has been done so i mean to answer your point while they may not be able to pay because of these events that are outside the control you know uh, natural calamities and catastrophes that happen but there is a strong endeavor not only qualitatively but backed by quantitative evidence that they repay the money they may not be able to pay the money in the next two months but they pay the money in the next 6 7 8 months they really do that and do right. co- question to you is do corporates do that when co- a corporate says you know i'm they not fly to other country <laughs> yeah they don't right these are the yeah. people who have to pay back and then we say hey i'm not going to give you money right right and next i want to talk about this uh, little thought experiment we i mean we talked this about in isds call also that you know lot of finance 95% 96% of the financial institutions in our country are not designed to the you know designed according to the cash flows of the poor households to make the viewers understand it better when we talk about a farmer who gets his income seasonally but he has to pay his loan monthly which makes him difficult you know to get access to the credit and which makes him the process of repayment for him also difficult right and two questions here uh, one do you think it is still because of us who are unable to create innovative uh, financial institutions for poor to progress i mean i want to know your views on that secondary some this uh, can this kind of model can be you know incorporated into microfinance yeah so uh, you're right what has happened is that uh, for microfinance since this has been running for decades you know microfinance is not new what has happened is microfinance organizations uh, most of them say want to have a minimal uh, price product price like a bank will say maybe one minimum 1 lakh rupee or 50000 rupees depending if you're in the urban or rural place and the bank will say minimum you have to take 12 months from me i have encountered that case i want to take a loan from you know a particular large private sector bank they said minimum 12 mahine ka hai maine bola ki you know if i'm able to pay in 3 months then what so sorry then we'll have to charge you penalty but i'm like you know i can pay that money in 3 months i'm just you know taking on a buffer that for a you know product there but no they don't do that now similarly for microfinance what has happened is for them to build the cost efficiency then they have some of them said okay minimum this is a ticket size that we will offer to you and this is the since we have a particular cost of capital since we have a particular return that we want to expect you need to pay to us in say 12 months duration right i mean this is not for all this is for some of them that are there and uh, you know that typically what happens is in that you are in a scenario where you are actually giving credit to people for a duration that is mismatched and also for an amount that is mismatched so think about a scenario that you want to buy a bike and then you know the bike costs 60000 rupees and then you know you are going to get your salary in the next 3 months you are able to repay that back right so uh and you actually get say 1 lakh rupees and for a 12 month duration now there's a big disconnect because 40000 rupees what will you do you will maybe uh, you know use that money for say a watch or something and it's again 12 months so even the savings that you had you may not really focus on that so that is a genuine case that happens 
but you're right now what is happening and you know what you know we are seeing people innovate is that you get the product closest to the customer as possible and that may not mean that design the product for sushil he wants 59000 rupees and 250 rupees but it could be for sushil's community sushil is a carpenter and the bunch of carpenters they want to buy a particular you know uh, you know they want to buy a particular saw or it could be for a particular group of women who want to buy tailoring machines and they are going to earn money in say 4 months you design a product that way so that uh, micro level product design is something that is to some extent lacking in organizations it is coming but it is taking its time and you know in at least where i work in we are trying to do that is that we are trying to design micro level products uh, so we typically call that a hyper local product because that is for that particular area that particular community you know we design the product and you know like i was giving the example it could be for a 14 week duration it could be for a 20 week duration it could be for a you know for a 12 month duration but specific to the use case like like you know the example for dairy i gave you that right. runs human runs in two weeks so now if the person is going to get money in two weeks as a sensible credit person what i will say that hey you know what it's like salary if you get your salary on the 30th i will ensure that you have to pay me on the first second third fourth why that's when money is in your bank similarly you're getting money in two weeks from the you know the dairy agency i will want to see that you pay me back within those two three days so products have to be designed in that manner and yes that is something which lot of organizations need to do why are they not doing that because that is a lot of effort doing a right. micro design for each community and it is easier to sell you know uh, something that is standard and a cookie cutter because it's just like i said you know it's like uh, it's ready template is tried and tested why to rock the boat right yeah that comes to my final question that right now till now it sounded kind of like a fairy tale and it sounded like a kind of like you know solution to elevate poverty and and it is helping to some extent for poor people to fight poverty i want you to mention few limitations of microfinance and how do you see this industry going in near future so see i mean uh See, see, I mean, uh, how the industry is going in the near future. So, like to give you a statistic, like I mentioned, you know, that two point three lakh crores out of a hundred lakh crore outstanding, it's only two point three percent. And I'll give you a more finer statistic. So, our population is you know one hundred thirty eight crores, give or take a few crores, right? Then the number of micro finance loan accounts that have been given are approximately ten crores. But what tends to happen is every person generally has two loan accounts. so that means that you have a scenario where there are 10 crore loan accounts and there are two people so basically there are 5 crore individuals and that is 5 crore households so if you look at you know the 138 crore number that i gave you that is the population size and you do the maths there uh you know if you do uh, 138 crore and approximately around uh, you know 65% of them stay in rural india and you know then you uh, you have an average family size of 5% sorry five per family and 50% of that are indebted all these statistics are there you know nabard mfin you know census of the government of india etc so you're looking at almost 8 plus 8.8 to 9 crore borrowers in the rural place who actually need credit or who are having credit but are having from a function of both formal and informal and out of that 8.8 crores who are you currently serving right now five crores so there is a massive gap the 2.3 crores itself will almost double right so 
is there an opportunity of growth massive opportunity of growth but yes most important in microfinance is how do you distribute when i say distribute how do you get the loan to the individual and not ask the individual to come to you because banks have done that they have failed and i mean though we may say banks are great etc etc post office account yes they have done well but not as much as microfinance institutions so opportunity is massive what is required is designing products that meet the customer keeping the customer at the core what are the limitations you also asked about the limitations of microfinance so see conventionally microfinance has been a high touch model right when i say high touch means they need to go and meet people they need to go and you know collect cash from them collections so while disbursements have been digital collections generally have been more on a cash basis why now you may say hey, you know what well, prime minister opened so many jandan accounts this happened and you know whatever you read on the press right but then is the use of those bank accounts enough when i say use means is the velocity of inflow and outflow from that bank accounts enough or is that bank account particularly being used to collect say some subsidies being received and then just basically withdraw that you need a banking system you need bank accounts that are more you know having inflows outflows that uh, you actually have people using a bank account and when that happens you will have digital repayments so one of the biggest challenges is that the repayments have not really been digital the repayments have been you know very high cash and when it's very high cash your cost of operations will be 8% Now, if you're able to cut down that, uh, you know, uh, collections, you know, the whole cash model, then maybe that drops eight percent becomes four percent. So that is a very significant limitation. And for you know, some instances, what happens is that uh, you know, I was, I'm reading this book uh, by Clayton Christensen on you know the floppy drive industry in the 80s and 90s. When you become a giant, you know, like there have been giants who used to make floppy drives. You may not know your generation, but to be different size of floppy drives, and then some of floppy drives. You know, probably now become coasters. You know, you uh, you put your marks on them, etc. When they were very large, they didn't really want to innovate radically, because they felt they were very large. They felt that the model that I am using is the right model because I have become large. I know something, but then someone else came who innovated the model very radically, and then the, that large giant, and I would call that you know, say a uh, David uh, Goliath rather, that Goliath suddenly disappeared. so the innovation in a microfinance industry is something that needs to pick up uh you know uh cost needs to come down and for the cost to come down you know you have the cost of borrowing like i said 13.5% is very high that needs to come down your operations cost needs to come down and these are for people who actually pay better than you and me right so they really deserve it and also from a regulator standpoint so what tends to happen is that the regulator loves banks because you know banks are uh, you know they are uh, first cousins if i were to say then when you go to an nbfc you go to an mfi they are the third fourth fifth cousins so they don't really have that much of trust on nbfcs and mfis and maybe fairly so like you know say some fourth fifth cousin may have you know defrauded your uh, you know one of the land etc and stolen it etc but if the if the rbi were to open up and to actually give low cost direct funds to some mfis nbfcs on a particular basis i'm not saying you just open it up for all and give it but if you have to have a mechanism where they can also draw these funds at say a 5 6 7% interest rate just imagine the delta 14% is what they are currently getting and if you are able to make that half that means from a landed cost to the borrow of 28% you have just by stroke of a pen shaved off 7% and made that loan 
21%. So, significant challenges. And that also makes, uh, that also makes accessibility factor higher, right? It, then the loan will be more accessible to more people. Absolutely, absolutely. Because then, you know, there is a, the cost of loan has reduced. Uh, and the person who wants to borrow it finds him to be cheaper as well. And for importantly, the person, the borrower has a better margin for the work that he or she does. Right? Because if I have to charge 28% because my cost structure is so high, the margin that will be left with, you know, that individual will be lesser. But now if I have reduced it by 7%, I have put that much more money in the hands of the customer, of the borrower. So very, very lot of different levels are there. You know, you have government uh, from, rather not government, we'll call it RBI. Uh, then you have, you know, more from, a, you know, the digital economy, if that takes up as much as it should. There have been experiments. I would not say there have not been experiments. But the pace of which is, you know, like, you know, UPI, for example. You know, so UPI, I'm sure you, would, you and your friends would have done transactions in Beam, you know, UPI payments, you know, Google Pay, etc., etc. But did you, have you thought about how it works in a feature phone? It doesn't work so great. And compounded to the fact that the way the Geo feature phone works, you know, I mean, Geo has done excellently well. That has been different. The way that the feature phone responds. And the drop-off rates in a feature phone are much higher than that of a UPI, uh, sorry, a smartphone. So if you design with the, I mean, I would, I would urge you and you know your friends to maybe look up the statistics of Beam and uh, you know the feature phone usage on RBI. They put up those statistics. You'll be shocked to see what are the statistics of you know feature phone UPI transactions and that of smartphones. I mean, they're just not comparable. You know, it's like you know you're talking about. Um, tens and thousands of crores and you're talking about say around 100 crores on the other side. So even the regulator designing products with a feature phone so that the person is able to actually make their transaction. Because now let's assume the person has money in the bank. How does the person make the transaction? You know, uh, and yes, you may say that, you know what, there's a smartphone, etc. But see, smartphone is there in the family as one instrument. It isn't that everyone has a smartphone. And a smartphone is used as a purpose of you know entertainment, a post, uh, WhatsApp, and also what is happening is that it's not necessary that the mobile number is the same. It keeps changing. So there are too many different dynamics that are there. But if there is one thing that can make it at least uh, easier to start off with, it is designing products with the customer first through a digital model, and then maybe RBNR can you know take care of themselves gradually as they realize. But, you know, that's, I think, the core importance, um, you know, if you were to ask me to my mind. Right. Uh, thank you so much. It was lovely talking to you. And I wish all the best for the great work you guys are doing. Thank you so much. Thanks, Pranay. Lovely speaking to you. Uh, I hope, you know, I've been able to, you know, uh, help you and your you know, friends understand more about microfinance.